welcome to the season 2 of the in your shoes podcast the podcast aims to get into the shoes of a person like you and me and learn from their career stories and experiences through this conversation we will uncover insights and pearls of wisdom which will hopefully inspire you and expand your thinking we're doing something different this season apart from a full length show we will also expand on topics of interest that emerge during the conversation these will be distributed as special episodes which are short targeted and provide you with the context when you are short on time let us get right into it welcome to the podcast anna thank you so much vivek thank you for uh, inviting me and i'm looking forward to a uh, a wonderful conversation for our podcast listeners dana could you kindly share a little bit about yourself like where you come from and and what you do for a living yes thank you so much for asking that i um, i moved to the united states 17 years ago coming from uh, eastern europe from romania and uh at that young age i had already had a vision that i'm i was not going to be able to uh pursue uh my life in in the way that i wanted it uh due to the you know political context and uh, socioeconomic context uh, at that time in eastern europe so um i came to the united states and i started my training in uh as a physician in internal medicine and uh i was very quickly drawn towards um palliative care um and i'm going to tell you exactly how that happened i in my usual rotations um as a physician on on a medical surgical floor at a cancer center in new york at a pretty famous cancer center in new york city i realized that um the there was a big missing piece in uh, in the way the treatment plans were being put together or the people were treated in general mm. and that piece had to do with um the element of listening um the element of uh, taking the time to to create a human connection from the beginning and uh treating people as a whole mm. so i i realized that at that time that the only um field of medicine that was integrating a, a holistic approach in taking care of people was palliative care so i uh, became very curious and very uh, engaged in um, in you know learning about the model um and i was um accepted in a in a palliative care fellowship at uh, um Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center and uh since then i have been uh, dedicating um my career to to this field wow i picked up few things which i really wanted to go little detail into like for example you mentioned about um finding this holistic meaning and treating people as a whole i i really resonate with that um tell me a little bit about this element of listening which you picked up while you were making your shifts as a physician in in the initial part of your career which led to perhaps you feeling interested about palliative care yeah it's it's a uh, it's something that is it's so profoundly simple right um but unfortunately because the way the system is designed in our modern world these days um basically robs physicians and other clinicians in general of the opportunity to to 
dedicate this time to listen to their patients in a in a in a very genuine way. So um, let me give you an example. Um, I think I think it's it's people people who are specifically for this this field that um, palliative medicine, as you mentioned earlier, is a very uh, holistic model and treats people. It basically offers a, a an extra layer of support for those who are going through uh, either an active uh, treatment for a, for a serial illness or they live with a, a chronic condition that is not curable or uh, what I do right now um, in hospice, we are uh, caring for those who are at the, in the end stages of, your, of their lives. Mm. So um, this element of listening is... is I would say, from my experience, has the most, uh, has the highest therapeutic value. Mm. Um, in the sense that someone who's suffering, and I, I think I, I actually read that somewhere recently in, a, um, in one of, uh, it might have been uh, Brené Brown, uh, who, who basically articulated this very eloquently she, she said um the soul that is suffering doesn't need to be advised fixed or saved it simply needs to be witnessed mm. so when you're when you're when you learn and practice that skill of witnessing someone suffering uh, it completely changes the, the, the dynamic of, of the relationship. And like I said, in itself has a tremendous therapeutic value. In addition to the technical aspects of care, of course, you still have to have the skills to, you know, manage someone's symptoms and, and keep them comfortable from a physical level, at a physical level. But if you are missing the opportunity to make that connection and become a portal to witness their process without trying to fix anything and simply being holding the space for the healing to happen. I think that's where the magic, that's where the magic is. I think this is very profound. What you just said, um, witnessing the suffering instead of trying to fix it. Um, I want to take a few steps back. Um, you mentioned that the current system perhaps, you know, robs the opportunity for physicians to dedicate this time to listening. What do you think uh, is causing this? Or why do you think the system is like this, the way it is? Yeah, it's unfortunate because there has been a a shift in, in, in uh, uh, strategies and practices and so on and, and the modern healthcare systems. And it's, it's, it doesn't apply only for the United States. It also, it's basically um, the same model. Um, you encounter the same model in Europe and in other parts of the world. It's, it's, it has become highly profit-driven mm. and the focus is on... Um, um, saving money, uh, recycling resources, making the systems efficient and efficient and so on. It's, it's, it's great. You know, I mean, you have to have a, a business practice that is sustainable mm -hmm. at a financial level. However, in that process, the, the, the human centered and care got pushed to the side. Mm -hmm. And, and it's only now I have to say, which I, I, I'm, you know, it's, it's, I'm secretly grateful for this, <laughs> you know, because the COVID-19 pandemic has brought back, um, more, uh, the, it has pushed us basically to, to, to return to, to, uh, a, a deeper understanding and to explore deeper, uh, ways uh, uh, of um, integrating this this human centered care back into into uh, into our practices. So, um, 
I'm not sure exactly if it's if it's a kind of a you know temporary shift or it's going to become solidified and and integrated back. But I I feel like the model started with the human at the center of care, and then it it got derailed mm. by the by the business, right? It got derailed by the fact that yes, you know we have so many private insurance companies and mm. you know everybody's trying to make money but also you know um pretend that they're saving money for the government-based agencies and and so on and so forth so it's a very i would call it a very um it's like dirty dancing mm. <laughs> you know <laughs> because you have to you have to be able to to navigate those those territories and i that's this is what i want to go back to the way I made this choice intentionally, I opted out of a, of, a, of a model of care that is focused on profit. And I, I intentionally choose to remove myself from, from that dynamic of, uh, you know, uh, bureaucracy and, and profit-driven practices and so on that tends to be more uh, connected to hospital systems in general. And I, I chose to practice in the home care setting. So um, we care for our people in, in their own homes, in their own um, intimate environments. We get to know them as they are in their, in their real world, you know, with their pets, with their families, with their mess, with their art, with the, everything goes. You know, it's a, we have this philo- philosophy that all is one. So you can just choose to see the beautiful aspects of someone's being and ignore the ugly. You have to, in order to be able to understand someone, you have to see everything. So I think working in, in directly with, with these people in their own homes uh, gives us a phenomenal opportunity to, to understand this in, a, in the bigger picture, to have a bigger picture view of who they are. Wow, I really liked how you mentioned that. Um, going forward, uh, as you were talking about the aspect of witnessing the suffering without trying to fix it, how was your initial experience getting into this? Um, like when you decided that uh, the palliative care is where you want to be, uh, how was your experience getting into this what were your first observations when you got into this line of work yeah i have to say that um um obviously my my style of practice has evolved uh, throughout the years and uh at the beginning so i i just want to clarify that the pioneer model is uh has been the foundational model of interdisciplinary care, right? So you can do this type of work on your own. It's not a one-man show and you have only one person who has the skills or the, the ability to uh, address the, the multidimensionality of suffering, right? So we, ha- we work, our team is made of uh, a nurse, a social worker, a spiritual care counselor, a uh, a grief and bereavement counselor, uh, physical therapist, uh, volunteers who play a tremendous role in in uh, offering support uh, support to uh, to those who are um, um, part of the program, um, and physician, of course, and so on. So everybody brings to the table their own skill set. And at the very beginning, when I started doing this, I I was not very good at um, uh, wearing multiple hats. So the, the, be- the beautiful aspect of this is that as you start working in a, in a model like that and you have a team that is basically, you know, whose, uh, whose skills are intertwining and it's a very fluid environment, so basically you learn from each other all the time, it allows you to grow. Right and and expand your own area of expertise. So at the very beginning, when I started, I I was rigidly wearing my physician's hat, yeah. And I would go in, 
you know, into the homes. And most of the time, I would I like to do a lot of visits jointly with other discipline, for instance, a nurse or a social worker, because I wanted to stimulate that uh, mutual learning environment, right? So at the very beginning, I was very much focused on, oh, there's something there's something that I need to fix. There's something that I, you know, there's something I, it, it was this very heavy um, uh, perception of responsibility. Like I felt like because I'm a doctor, I have to go in and I always have to find a solution, right? And try to fix something. And it was very much, um, you know, very medical driven or, you know, these are the symptoms and so on. So I was missing out on um, the uh, uh, additional layers of, I mean, not completely, but it was was not my focus, right? It was not, I was not basically, I didn't have the ability to, to, to expand my own field of perception at that time to see everything right like the shamans the shamans are are people who have this this amazing skill of seeing everything yeah so in time because of this uh constant practice um and working with people who like i said brought in different perspectives and taught me a lot about you know how to navigate these territories I, I, I evolved into a much, um, how should I call it? It's a rounder and a, a, a more um, a spacious, you know, the, the approach right now is more spacious in, 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 in the sense that I, I am able to see things that I was not able to see before. Things that have to do with, you know, the non-physical uh, elements of uh, of suffering. Um, we're very much focused on pain management in um, in uh, in our uh, practice because pain is one of the main uh, quality of life altering symptoms. That's how we call them. Um, so you know, understanding that someone's pain, we 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 integrate a model of total pain that is basically. Um, made of uh, the physical element and then the psychosocial and the spiritual, emotional, and so on. So we we want to be able to capture all these nuances so that when we offer an intervention, uh, basically it addresses all these elements as it's not focused only on the physicality, right? So this is what I, this is to bring it to, come return to your question is I was mainly focused on the physical elements of suffering at the very beginning of my career. And now, you know, my approach is much more expansive and broad. Mm. And uh, Dana, what led to this transition, like from your initial focus on being a physician on, and uh, having that hat and trying to fix the problem uh, to something more like what you are right now is having this multiple hats and being uh, a holistic person in in yourself addressing this. So could you share through or perhaps throw more light on perhaps events and experiences that led to this transition? It's a phenomenal question, Vivek, because... um, I realized that, I mean, it's basically the result of, of my own inner work. And I started taking the first steps on what I called the seeker's path. Um, putting intentional effort into, don't get me wrong, it's not, a, it's not an effort that is painful. <laughs> it's, a, it's basically a, an effort that... Um, has to do with consistency of certain practices and, and, you know, some element of discipline around that. But the, 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 the change has been driven by the work that I have been doing on myself, my inner work. And, and the fact that 
having the exposure to, to this type of work, basically I started seeing it as a phenomenal opportunity and invitation to uh, recalibrate my own my own existence and to um, reflect on my own mortality, to um, think about what are the things that really matter in a human's life. Um, how am I staying connected to things that bring me meaning at a personal level and how can I take that meaning and put it in a, in some sort of an expression that translates in a, in an action that serves others. I don't know if that makes sense, but it was, it was basically in it, you know, I, it's, it's a constant, it's, it's this kind of work that we're talking about the inner work of, uh, you know, um, self-reflection, self-knowledge, basically knowing to, getting to know who you are and constantly remaining curious about that uh, and staying current with the, the changes because we're constantly evolving. We are, we are at, a, at a material and spiritual level. We are in constant change and evolution. Um, so that is basically that has become my new my new foundation to to um, that allowed me to change my perspective, you know. And I and I am so grateful because I feel that if I was not practicing in this in this world in this in this uh, field, sorry, of palliative care. Um, I would have probably missed that opportunity to uh, to uh, to do this inner work, to start doing this inner work uh, uh, at the time when I when I when I um, have been, you know, when I took the first steps on on the seeker's path. So when I when I talk about the seeker's path, is basically, you know, um, understand if you if you understand the multidimensionality of your own being and, and this constant uh, uh, force of energy that is, is causing these um, this, uh, changes and, and what is it that is driving your own evolution, you show up into the world uh, with, a different, um, with a different, how should I call that? It's a... Not just a different attitude; it's a different, um, different view. You know, you you see the world. You know, most of the time, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Ram Das, one of the, uh, yeah, uh, um, our contemporary spiritual teachers who used to say, uh, most people operate on channel one. And and it's the channel one is is the channel where everybody subscribes to the to the standardized models that the society imposes on us, our families, and, and so on and so forth. And you basically, uh, you are for most of your life on autopilot, trying to please or um, others or to confirm to certain rules about life and society and so on that have been designed by others, definitely not you. And, and in time, when you get to that moment where you start questioning that, right? You said, well, I'm, I'm really not, I don't feel like I fit in into this model. And, and what is it that I can do to get curious and, and expand my, my, my world and, and be able to uh, rise above, basically, right? It's you, you transcend to a different level. It's, and, I, and again, I'm not talking about, you know, practices that are uh, mystical or, or whatnot. I'm talking about this, this uh, uh, curiosity that comes from within to push you at a, in a, at a different channel. So you get to channel two, and when you're at channel two, you're like, wow, I have a different view of my life right now. 
not only that I have a different view, but I also have a different understanding of how the other, all the other humans around me live and, and connect. And, and, um, and it's basically uh, uh, kind of a bird's view, right? It's just as you, as you get a little higher, uh, um, it's kind of a, from a semantics point, it's very interesting because there is a kind of a paradoxical relationship there. At, at some some uh, spiritual uh, practitioners or uh, teachers talk about uh, lifting up, right, transcending to a higher level of consciousness, whereas others talk about you have to go deep within to go down. So, you know what I'm saying? It's a paradox between actually in order to lift higher, you have to to go deeper within yourself to rise up. Mm. I don't know if that makes sense. It does. You know it does. I think it also opens up a lot of questions for me. And I think one of the meta questions that pops to my head already is being a physician, being in medicine, and also a person of science. How do you, let me ask like, I think first is how how and what led to your introduction to spirituality um was this like since the beginning or you when you went to the or when you went to the process of you know being in the palliative care that opened up your perspective to spirituality so if you could just give us a view on how do you blend that and how did it, did it really happen like is it is it a occurrence that kind of had to happen because you were in this line of work or this was something that you already saw yourself like this is part of you fantastic question because you know i come from um from a culture where there was zero exposure to spirituality so i grew up i grew up in a you know during the communist regime in romania and <laughs> at that time uh if I could say that everything was a hundred percent anti-spirituality. Um, so, and also within my own family, there was no, really no exposure to, to any spiritual practices or, and so on. So, um, definitely I felt that now when I'm thinking about my, you know, my upbringing and so on, I feel like there was a, um, a handicap, you know, that I, I didn't have that opportunity to to start exploring my spiritual dimension sooner you know earlier in my life um and yes um i i feel like the the triggers have come from um witnessing that at the bedside so i started i started you know when i when i started seeing people dying we had um we had an in inpatient hospice unit where you know we had 25 beds and um when people could no longer stay at home or there were um complicated situations and families chose not to have their loved ones die at home we had an actual place where people could go and die and um you know i was working there i i had been working there for for a few months and and I finally, like, when you witness death firsthand and people die in front of you, right, there is always this question about ah, what happens, you know, like, what happens with the spirit? What happens with their soul? What happens when you see someone taking their last breath and then the, the body goes, you know, immobile and there is no further pulse and, and so on and so forth and there is in those moments where you you know you just start wondering about all these other dimensions you know and and it's and i that's when by witnessing this this that's people dying in front of me i started i started um you know getting I mean, it's not—it's not that I—I I, I was not exposed to that concept before, but I—I I became more interested in uh, in the spiritual dimension of of dying, and and um, now I basically um, 
put a lot of emphasis in, in you know with the teams that I work with on on this on this element and I always want to make sure that people are not missing that you know that that we are a medical practice but dying in itself is a hundred percent a spiritual act right what I yeah I think what I hear from you is this the deliberate choice of for yourself to move to palliative care was like a transformative journey for yourself right it is still a transformative journey you know it is it's cause it's every single day this is why i am so humbled you know everybody when when i tend to talk to people who are not very familiar with what that really means and what we really do for for our patients and everybody has this tendency to to ask uh, something like oh or say something like oh that must be so depressing oh you're working with people at the end of their lives who are dying that must be so depressing <laughs> and i go not at all first of all there's nothing depressing about dying because it's only an part of the natural cycle of life we all come from, uh, you know, the original creative source, and then we return to the same place. So this culture that has conditioned us into thinking that we are never going to die is, uh, is basically um, has, has, has completely is misleading people into thinking that dying is some sort of uh, unnatural process or some sort of... Uh, undeserved punishment and so on. So, you know what I'm saying? People have become so disconnected from their own embedded mortality, right? We all are born to die. And, and we are so distracted by, you know, our modern culture that's trying to convince us that, no, there's something wrong about dying. That, you know, you have to, to do everything you can to push it away or deny it or, or, you know, or stigmatize it or whatever it is. So because of that, um, it's becoming uh, this, 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 you know, uh, idea that, oh, you know, when you're, when you're caring for those who are dying, it must be, uh, uh, a profoundly, uh, unpleasant experience, right? associated with sadness, with, uh, you know, a lot of uh, negative emotions and so on. The way I see it, like I said, it's, it's, I see it as a, as a constant opportunity to learn from people's stories um, and experiences. And it's a constant opportunity to do this self-recalibration. And, and, you know, we're, we're basically, all of us, not just, not just those who work in the palliative care field, all of us are always standing in the face of death. Imagine that. It's like, you, you know, from the day you are born, you know, death is always by your side. It's always there. You, that, because you choose not to acknowledge that, <laughs> it doesn't mean that death is not there with you. It accompanies you every step of the way. You know, but we, 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 we somehow became, you know, brainwashed and into thinking that, uh, no, 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 you don't really have to think about that, that, you know, you just have to focus on, uh, on your day to day needs and, and live your life as if you are immortal, not doing any reflective, you know, work at all, not, not. On, you know, focusing on on the on the elements of what really what really gives your life meaning. What is the reason you were brought into this life, right? And try to to connect with that, so that when you when you take actions and you you move ahead, you you have a, a, a kind of a deeper understanding of you know, what is it that you're doing with your life in general? You know what I'm saying? Instead of robotically following the steps that the system has already laid out in front of you. Right. So the, the meta topic that I kind of 
take away from here is be deliberate on how you're living your life. Uh, so you're mindful that you're not living a life assuming you're going to be there forever. Yep. And accept mortality as just natural thing. It's not a negative thing. It's just how it's a part of life. Yeah, I mean, just, if you if you simply look at the reality, right? Mortality rate is still holding steadily at a hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> do you know? Do you know anyone who hasn't who made it out alive? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. This is what we're, we're saying. Like, I don't know anybody who made it out of this life alive. Yeah. We're all getting. We're all heading in the same direction. Yeah. So this is the reality. But like I said, we're getting. Um, derailed and kind of uh, um, misled into this fantasy and delusion that, uh, oh, no, it's not important. It, it, and it's also the, one of the most beautiful people are, as, as you get older and wiser, you know, you start realizing how important it is, because this is another element that I wanted to really talk about that, another element of uh, um, what we do in our in our practices you know inspiring people to plan for the end for the end of their life right so to 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 remove that element of surprise oh my god now i'm dying how am i going to get ready for that you know what i'm saying instead of instead of being surprised by the fact that you're dying it's better to start planning the same way you're planning to have a new child, the same way you're planning to get married, the same plan, you know, the same way. It's, it's, it's as important to plan for the end of your life as it is to plan for any other major events in your life. Right. That's very profound. And I totally, totally see your point. It completely makes sense. I... Yeah. Go ahead. You know, the, the, I just wanted to say that the Buddhists have uh, this mm -hmm. very beautiful ritual and uh, they create throughout their lives, right? So it's not a last minute thing. Um, it's, they don't do it in the last week of their life. And so they, they are creating this mini legacy um, throughout the, the course of their lives. And it's called a, um, a uh, Dharma box. And, you know, they... they they capture the mini, like miniatures of, of pieces of their lives that they consider are the, they're the most relevant. Um, and also they very, um, uh, they, they plan in, in detail the way they, you know, the way they, their body, the way they want their body to be handled after the death, what kind of music they, uh, they want to have played the, to play at their funeral, what kind of memorial service they want to have. So it's basically, you know, an intentional act of saying, you know, this is my end. This is the last chapter of my book, right? I want to make sure that I, it, 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 it is handled the way I see it, the way I want it to be. This is the way I want to live this, you know, this embodiment that I have right now. Instead of leaving that, on someone else's shoulder to figure out what you would have liked, what kind of, you know, so it makes things, number one, simpler for those who are, you know, left behind. But also, it, it, I have to say, it has, it has an extra um, uh, benefit in the sense that it, it tends to diminish a little bit the element of grief because, because those who are, who are left responsible to, to, to make these arrangements and so on and so forth, they, they actually feel a huge relief when they say, hey, I actually know what my loved one wanted, you know, and I am here to honor that. I'm here to honor the legacy. I'm here to ma make sure that the dignity is, is, is being honored as well. So it's a very, in itself, it's a, it, has a, it has a very positive effect mm -hmm. on the grieving process. Hmm. I really like that part. Um, Dana, what is your day, I would say, if you have a typical day in your work, looks like? Um, <laughs> it's, um, 
it's it depends. It depends on the day. I'm very um, grateful that I I have a lot of flexibility and I can design my own you know schedule. Um, I tend to through the work that I do with with the teams that I work with. Um, I I identify people who tend to have the highest needs. Right. So there are complex situations where there are um, very intense family dynamics and, uh, um, you know, symptom management needs and uh, the complexity tends to be high. Right. Mm-hmm. And and somebody in the team, uh, you know, usually stratifies those those things. And and we are we all get together virtually these days, you know, um, and talk about our patients. And, and I have developed, you know, my own inner um, uh, system to, to know exactly intuitively. It, I have to say also, uh, this kind of work is, is greatly based on intuition. Like you need to know, uh, when to do certain things, you need to know when to step back, you need to know when to give people time, you know, so there are situations where, you know, somebody on my team says, oh, I think you go, you should go and see this patient. And I say, "Mm, I think we should give them a a few more days, you know, to allow them to settle in these transitions. um, This is a top, this is a topic for a different conversation, but transitions of care right now between different settings right from the hospital to the home sometimes happen very um ungracefully and there is an element of um trauma i would say attached to that right so you have to be timing is the key you have to be really good at knowing when is the right time to uh you know, to, to go in. So, um, as a doctor, like I said, there is still this perception, um, among not only clinicians in my team, but also families and so on that, you know, the doctor, the doctor is perceived as, as the, having the highest authority. Right. And, and if the doctor is going in to visit somebody, well, it means that, you know, it's a, it's a big day. (laughs) I mean, it really is. So I, I, my intention really is to remove that. You know, I don't go in with uh, blows and whistles and blah, blah, blah. You know, I, it's, it's really not about it at all. I go in very humbly and I, I, uh, I uh, do my best, like I said, to create that, uh, uh, to create a space for, for, for that direct human connection to happen. And, um, yeah, so I do visits, uh, not every day when I do not, um, do in-person visits these days, we, we are using, um, uh, telehealth as a, as a new tool, uh, to be able to engage with patients and, and for me to be able to be present in some of these homes when someone else on my team is there and, you know, facility needs me for a consultation and so on. So that, that has been really helpful lately. When I don't do that, I, I'm in constant collaboration with everyone who's in the field. When we say in the field, in the field, in, in people's homes. So, uh, I also, um, um, am working right now on, um, developing a, um, an oncology hospice specialty program within our, uh, um, you know, organization. So uh, it's a it's a hybrid role between clinical and academic and uh, program development and strategy and quality things that have to do with our, um, you know, regulatory requirements and so on. And so that's that's the that's the work piece. But I have a very uh, beautiful practice of self care, and I think that's that's probably would. If you want to talk about that, I think that is my lifeline. Mm-hmm. Can you say a little bit more about what's what do you mean by self care here? Yeah, so 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 it, it really it, 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 this this idea connects back to what we were talking about before of how 
how you evolve as a person, right, in, in, by doing this work. I also, it wasn't just this shift from, you know, integrating, uh, having a broader understanding of, uh, of uh, suffering in general, but also how important it is to care for yourself, to be able to care for others. It's the key thing for, for, for our practice in general, but I would say it's, it's a key thing for any human, you know? If you are, a, let's say, if you're a caregiver for, if you, if you're, one of your parents is sick at home or, or your spouse or a child or, uh, it doesn't have to be a terminal illness. A caregiving is, is a very broad term, right? In order, the simple philosophy is that in order to be able to care for others, you have to care for yourself. So that has been, this is basically one of the pillars for us in uh, palliative care. Um, we all learn how to um, do self-care. So my self-care practice, if I can share that with you, consists of, um, I, uh, I have a meditation practice in the morning. I have a uh, self I also have a self inquiry practice where I write 20 minutes a day in the morning uh, using prompts. I, I work with a teacher online um, who teaches this this it's a, it's a spiritual practice basically using writing self inquiry practices in understanding yourself step by step and layer by layer. Um, speaking only the truth about, you know, your experiences, your past, your present, and, and so on. So it's, it's called a self-inquiry practice. So I have that. And I um, also have um, a movement practice. I, I move my body to be able to move, you know, the energy and allow, you know, the a kind of an internal recalibration of energetic flows and so on. Uh, either you know it's a it's a combination of movement practice either yoga or or strength or there is a beautiful thing that i i came across a few months ago it's been i think since july it's called um the five tibetan rites it's a it's a mini it's a mini yoga practice um that was uh, created by uh tibetan monks as a, as a tool to increase their longevity. Can you repeat that? Uh, five? It's called yeah. Five Tibetan Rites. Rites, okay. R-I-T-E-S. Oh, wow, okay. Um, so it's basically a mini, a mini Tibetan yoga flow, right? Like if you talk about vinyasa flow in the more traditional Indian, you know, vinyasa flow is one of the yoga practices but this is a tibetan yoga that is uh, is heavily based on coordination between breath and movement but what it does it it allows energy to flow through five different vortexes of energy that we have naturally in our bodies to unlock the 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 areas where the energy gets stuck and they, it, it, the, the concept of that is, you know, um, the Tibetan um, still feel very strongly that illness in general is caused by blockage of these energetic channels. So these monks, you know, created this practice hundreds of years ago. And um, um, it's something that I have integrated in my movement practice recently. And I... I uh, I absolutely love it. I'm gonna I'm gonna probably leave. You know? Very interesting. No, I think I we, could, know, we could spend hours talking more? about this itself. Yeah, 25 years or something. I mean, they they get uh, you know you talk about you when we're talking about data driven uh, you know um, results. It's yeah they they showed that they they uh, expanded their lifespan by 25 years. Or more. So, but again, it's not a, it's not so much about longevity. It's about this. Is another thing that I wanted to make sure that is clear about the model of palliative care. It's about the quality of your life. 
right? So I don't care if I live to 105. I'm really focused on what kind of quality those, you know, extra 25 years are going to have. How I can, how I can, you know, maintain that same level of quality by keeping, you know, my body healthy, my mind healthy, and and moving along, accepting the changes that are normally going to happen, right? You know, in our physical bodies and our, you know, mental capacities and cognitive abilities and so on, but being more, um, uh, being uh, more versatile, I would say. Um, in in um, in preserving that that element of quality, right? I don't I don't want to be 105 in a wheelchair and completely demented and you know <laughs> with a feeding tube. That's not my that's not my definition of quality of life. Hmm. So Donna, imagine there is someone listening to this podcast and they really are curious about palliative care and they they just see if themselves being in this line of work what would be your advice for them like in terms of what experiences you would like them to have where should they start where should they start oh wow you know i i we tend to say that you know, people are called towards certain things in life. And, and I, I, I don't necessarily agree with that, right? I mean, there are so many opportunities we come across. And if you don't pay attention, you know, to the opportunities that are there in front of you, you may not take them, you know, um, as they present themselves to you. So um, particularly for for the area of uh palliative care and end-of-life care. Um, I feel, however, that there is a certain quality of people that are drawn towards that. Um, for anyone who, who would be interested or curious in, in, in learning more about the model or, or even um, becoming, you know, practitioners, um, I would say you you simply have to follow your heart you know you have to follow that inner intuition that inner voice that tells you why you would want to do that you know for me it has been basically um like i said um uh, a very organic intuitive process you know what i'm saying i didn't sit down to go through tables or checklists or, you know, things to say, hey, I'm going to do surgery versus uh, dermatology versus, <laughs> you know, palliative care. It wasn't like that at all. It was more of a kind of a natural, you know, like, like, uh, like an energy that was pulling me towards that. And, and it had to do with the fact that myself, as a human, I feel most connected with this element of um, uh, deep human interactions, you know, like understanding human suffering at a deeper level. And I think this is the only, this is the only field uh, that allows for that right now in the current design of our healthcare system. Yeah. I'm not sure if that answers your questions, but I would, I would just say again, it, it's more about um, having that that almost like a it's not it's not a like a like a force that is driving you know is is pulling you towards 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 a feel like this if it, and it's also um, you know you have to be someone who who is very compassionate. And, and empathic, you can't, you know, you, it's, it's, it's impossible to, to work like, uh, you know, this is not, it's, it's a very different model than, you know, what a surgeon does or an anesthesiologist does, right? I'm not saying that they cannot integrate, you know, uh, um, ways to, to connect with, with the people that, the patients that they treat at, at a human level, but it's, it's a very different quality, of the interaction, 
right? So that's why I would say it's, it's basically, if, if that's your focus as a human being uh, and you really want to, your mission is to genuinely and authentically serve others and be of service. This is an area where you would be thriving. Fantastic. I cannot end this conversation without asking you, Dana, about your recommendation, especially books or anything that you would like to recommend our audience. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for asking that because I'm... So three recent books that I, I have read, and one of, I, I, two of them and one it's, it's, I'm reading it right now. So um, we talked about um, meaning, right? And finding meaning and, and how you stay connected. And, and that, you know, it's, sometimes people, people have this uh, um, perception of this overwhelming task, that we have as humans to find meaning in our lives. <laughs> uh, and it's, uh, if you look at it like that, it, it's basically, it sets you up for failure because you're, you're constantly searching for something that is bigger than you. You don't know how to connect it with it and connect with it and so on. But anyway, to keep things simple, uh, Viktor Frankl's um, Yes to Life in Spite of Everything. Yes to Life in Spite of Everything is actually came out this year. It's the first time it was published. Um, and it's a, it's a collection of uh, um, some of the lectures that he gave in different academic settings uh, back in Vienna when he came out of the concentration camps. As you know, Viktor Frankl is the uh, founder of uh, Meaning Center Therapy, um, in my training, I, I worked a lot with uh, um, psychologists who were actually implementing a, a meaning dignity center therapy in the cancer center where I trained. So I have been exposed to his uh, teachings and philosophy um, um, a while ago. But this book, like I said, is brand new and it's, uh, it's a very uh, concise um, uh, blueprint for you know how to go about finding meaning in your life so that's one should i go on okay <laughs> all right the next one uh the author it's a it's a it's the author of this book it's called sex death enlightenment and it's written by uh um the teacher who who with whom I, I have been uh, doing my uh, self-inquiry practice. His name is Mark Matusek. And um, it's basically, a, I, I couldn't put it down, I have to say. It, it was, it's, it's so, it's a, it's, a, it's a memoir. And it talks about, you know, um, um, his life and how he, exactly the same question you asked me, how he came uh, to the realization that there is a need to rise above by going deeper, right? And it's a very beautifully written uh, a book that I highly recommend. And the, the, the book that I think, honestly, it has the highest potential to change people's lives. Uh, and I'm so grateful um, that I, someone on the platform that we met, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> recommended it to me. Um, it's called uh, Anti-Fragile by Nassim Nicholas Taleb. Uh, Anti-Fragile things that gain from disorder. And it's fascinating. I mean, I'm, I'm, I just started reading it a few days ago and I am uh, in awe about, uh, you know, the con not only the content, it's just the, the, the ideas that he, uh, you know, he expressed in this book. And I'm, I'm so excited to, um, to continue reading it. Um, but by the way, this is one of the books that um, leaders in the Israeli army recommend to, uh, to the new soldiers to, uh, as a mandatory reading. I don't know if that tells you anything, but it's, it's a very... It's a <laughs> no, very... I, I've been a fan of uh, Mr. Taleb. I think I've, I have read Anti-Fragile uh, some time back. It's still on my on my book and on the list at the top of the books, I would say. So you read it. Okay, well, I'm behind you now. 
Yeah. Yeah, I read it and I I think the principles around going beyond resilience and becoming better uh in the in the in the case of adversity and issues i think that's phenomenal way of thinking about it and it has a lot of lessons like you know he takes from the human body how it reacts and this is why i find it so relevant to what i do mm. right because it's exactly what we're talking about we we started talking about you know resilience as he describes this in the book he he says resilience is yes you're resisting and you're making it out of a you know um serious event and so on but it doesn't change you resilience is you stay the same whereas antifragility anti being antifragile you come out of that change and this is exactly i think it's a phenomenal way to finish this conversation is that basically <laughs> basically this is this is where i am it's it every single encounter that i have with someone who's dying is basically transforming me at a at a very deep level at a molecular level i would say you know and it 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 allows me to you know to not to be resilient and i and i'm telling i mean i'm also you know i i'm so aware of course that i am just another human i'm as vulnerable and fragile as all as all of us right but i am so excited about the learning aspect of how to you know navigate this this territories and how much is it that you can learn from the wisdom of others when they're going through that process and i have no idea i mean this is this is what i want to say in all honesty i have no idea how i'm going to show up to my own death isn't that interesting right because with all this preparation you feel like oh i got all the tools i got all the you know tricks and all these things and wow i may be completely <laughs> you know i mean i may have a totally different reaction i have no idea but it doesn't matter really what matters is that i feel like i am doing something to you know to to give me a better understanding that's all i'm asking for you know what i'm saying the wisdom i want to i want to to be able to sit in that for as long as possible instead of um, reacting you know to 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 the natural process of that so i don't know i think we should uh, have this conversation again sometime oh, yeah, <laughs> you know when yeah. i get closer to my death <laughs> I, i have no idea <laughs> no, not maybe that when far i'm away, but i think maybe yeah I, think, I was saying maybe on when I'm on my deathbed, you know, we can <laughs> revisit this and see how I feel about that then. <laughs> But right? I think there are so many things that we could go deeper, right? I mean, I think there I think the conversation that I had with you right now is already triggering me so many questions in my mind and I'm assuming that we could we could spend a lot of time just going deep into each aspect of it. Uh I am also mindful of your time and I would think uh this is the right time to wrap up. So thank you Dana. I I super appreciate you being on the show. I think this is a season 2. Uh, I am recording the session for this is amazing. The content was so good and so stimulating I think for me and I think for the people who would be listening to this. Um for people who would like to reach out to you, they have questions or you know pointers that they need your information and support what would be the right channel for them to reach out to uh, you um so i'm on facebook mm-hmm. um is it okay if i share my name or or yeah how? i mean if you're okay with it um i'm if you're okay i can also share the link to that yes. on the, the show yes. notes yes so so i think facebook would be for now the safest way and i think if somebody wants to have any you know um reach out to me for um anything that is related to the podcast or follow up questions and so on they could send me a message there and i'm happy to respond to them either by email or you know through messenger and what not yeah. and i'm also on linkedin as you know i think mm-hmm. we are connected on linkedin yeah. um and uh, i'm not an insta scam fan <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I am not on Instagram <laughs> but um 
Yeah, I mean, and I we also are on uh, on the platform that we met on. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can't really find people there um, selectively. Like you cannot choose to connect with a certain person. Yeah. But I, I'm so grateful, um, Vivek. I wanted to to end with that. I'm very grateful that you gave me the opportunity to um, speak, you know, about my passion and and the way how I have been, uh, you know. Um, navigating my own life so far it's it's like i said it's work in progress and just accepting our own you know um um humanity as it is i think it's the key to uh you know to staying connected to uh to a, a meaningful existence you know absolutely absolutely thank you so much dana and i I, I will have you again, of course. I think I'm already seeing a lot of things that we can talk about in the next iteration of this podcast. I, okay, and I hope to be still alive. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right, sounds good. Thank you so much. Please subscribe to the podcast In Your Shoes on the podcast channel, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, Pocket Cast, and others. To know more, please visit www.inyourshoes.com that is i n u r shoes.com